This evening we're going to be looking at verses 8 to 11, and in a moment we'll read from verses 1 to 11. Today I think it's fair to say that authority is not well respected. Now, you may have heard the expression speaking truth to power. Now, there may be times when we have to, as Christians and believers, resist ungodly use of power and oppose authorities when they ask us to sin and we should stand against that. But at the same time, we must not follow this current evil age and its rejection of authority. There are those authorities under God, delegated authorities, on this earth, given for our good and for the good of men in general. For example, there's many professing Christians across this island who will profess to know Christ. And they will say that they believe this book and that they love God. But at the same time, they will not go to church. And they also will not submit unto the eldership. Can they do that? No. The Bible itself tells us about this authority in the church, and not just in the church, in the state, your job. There's lots of places this applies to. There are other authorities which God has given authority in our life. And as we interact with those authorities, it says a lot, dear friends, about our relationship with Christ. And so this is something that Jude is emphasizing in his letter. Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus, he's also the brother of James, as we're told in verse 1. He's dealing with men who have thrown off authority. Ungodly men have crept in unnoticed. And to throw off that power. And what can we learn here this evening from this? We'll read now from Jude, verses 1 to 11. Let's hear God's holy word. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained of this condemnation ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, 
and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet, Michael the archangel, when he when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. There's not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally, as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. We'll be specifically focusing on those last few verses there from verse 8. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh all the way down to the end of verse 11. Jude is here writing to a number of churches. He's writing to the churches in general of an issue that has arisen that must be dealt with. Um, This is not something Jude particularly wants to talk about. And you get the sense of it in verse 3 when it says, Beloved, when I give all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. Uh, In the original, there's a very much a sense of the... Everything within every fiber of his being, Jude wanted to write about what they were sharing in common. The good stuff. The positive stuff. The things we all like to think think about. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely. We share a common bond in Jesus Christ. And Jude very much wants to speak to them about this. However... He also says, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Here it is very much an idea that he has been compelled by duty to speak about what he is writing about in this letter. It's very positive at the beginning. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied, verse 2. This is very much in Jude's heart. This is, this is what he wants to speak about. This is not something he loves to talk about. And this gives extra weight to what Jude is speaking about in this letter. He's compelled. This is not his hobby horse. This is not something that gives him the jollies to speak about. He comes to lovingly warn He warns out of duty and a love for these churches. And how does he give this warning? And from verses 5 onwards, we see how he he gives this warning of these uh, certain ungodly men who have come in unnoticed, noticed by Jude, but unnoticed by the church. Something warned in Peter's second letter. He gives three examples from verses 5 to 7. The first example, he deals with 
you could say that church in the wilderness, not all of them were believers. He warns them of this. Most of them perished. Afterward destroyed them that believed not. The next example he gives is angels. And even these mighty beings, as impressive as they are and amazing as they are, the most, the most incredible of all created beings, even they cannot escape the consequences of the rebellion and leaving behind the first estate the realm of holiness in which they were to govern. And then we also have verse 7. I'll give you another example. Sodom and Gomorrah, which is set forth as an example. And at the beginning of these three examples, Jude says this, verse 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance that you once, though you once knew this, there's a certain sense in which Jude knows that they know about this, but he's pressing upon them what they already know, bringing to their conscience the dangers of following these, these men who've crept in with this dangerous doctrine, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, or basically making grace an excuse for sin, and you can live however you please. The dangers are there for all to see. Another warning he gives, and this is what we're going to be looking at here this evening, is from verses 8 to 11, is authority. Authority. And what it says, and if those who would follow this ungodly example that was happening in the churches at that time, how should we ourselves, we should look at, how should we ourselves look at authorities that are subordinate to God, that are under God? So number one, we're going to look at the central problem. The central problem, and verse 8 deals with the central problem. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Jude returns to these ungodly men whom he calls filthy dreamers, or this word filthy is provided uh, in the translation here, but they're dreamers, and we can understand it literally. Literally, in the sense, perhaps, He is speaking about those who claim to be receiving visions from God. It's a possibility. Uh, Practices that say they get revelation from God and justifying their sinful activity spoken about by Jude in the earlier verses. That this is the reason why they can do these practices. I've got a vision from God. And there were people in the early church who did teach such things. We also know of people today who teach such things. You just have to turn on Christian television or so-called Christian television for more than two minutes. And you'll get someone telling you that they've had a vision from God. Justifying all sorts of practices with such things. Casting off, really, the authority of the Bible. And this is why it is so serious when you have these dreamers, the authority becomes no longer the scriptures, but their sinful imaginations. But we, look, we can also understand it figuratively. Um, 
Perhaps it is not necessarily them saying you have revelation or whatever the case may be. It could simply be that it's just coming from their imagination. Their sinful imaginations. And we all have sinful imaginations. Either way, it's the same sinful problem. It's the wrong authority. It's the wrong authority. Trusting your own heart is treating it like the authority. If you say, I trust my heart, I'll follow my heart, then you're saying that your heart is the authority by which you make decisions. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. When we follow our heart, our own sinful heart, Though we have been set free by trusting in Jesus Christ and by faith alone, at the same time, we still have indwelling sin. We still have areas of our heart that we do not realize how desperately wicked it can be at times and how deceived we can be. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be utterly deceived at times. And the problem is, dear friends, we often do not see it. This is the danger of following our heart. And on top of that, it's the wrong authority. The godly heart seeks to follow God, not lean upon itself. And what does this do? This imagination, it defiles the flesh. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile The flesh. And when we do it, we do what was happening in that day, which is indulging in sins without restraint, without boundaries. Again, this was the the danger of what was happening in that day. Turning, verse 4, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. No... No restraint. Denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the result of what was happening. Because they were teaching and following these things, God was denied. Christ was denied. And this defiled them. But the central problem was the sinful heart. The central problem could say it wasn't even the teaching it came from a sinful heart it had a source it had a spring from which it came from and so today what do we have well, we have a lot of this today don't we grace as a license to sin in this part of the world you'll hear many people their claim to being a Christian is their genealogy it's a scary place to be, brothers. And so now, while well, I'm under the grace of God, what do we see? Uh, wicked, vile sins. Pornography, adultery, on and on. And it's, it gets harder and harder to tell some parts of the church apart from the world. And that should tell you that there's something deeply, deeply wrong. In the early church, one of the things... That Justin Martyr pointed towards as a, as a defense, you could say, for the Christian faith. He would say, look at how we live. 
And I'm not saying it's the best defense that anyone could give. I wouldn't want my life to be used as a defense for the Christian faith or anybody else's life for that matter. But the fact is, in the second century, just a martyr could say that. Could we say that today? The church on this earth has never been perfect. But dear friends, let us never make an excuse. Let us never make an excuse for sin because of this fact. Let us be gracious to others and more critical of ourselves. But at the same time, we must, if we see sin, put it to death. Revelation chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 talks about the problem of that day. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And when you've left your first love, you'll also leave submission. And you'll see the fruits of it. And when you see the first departure from first love, there will be consequences. And this is what Jude is really emphasizing throughout this book. Look at these fearful examples. Look at the church in the wilderness, the congregation in the wilderness. Look at the angels that fell. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, but isn't that just for outside there? Sodom and Gomorrah, well, that's just the world. No, no, no. Jude is writing to churches. Using Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of what a life of no restraint and saying grace, grace, and I can do whatever I like, that's where it leads to. It's a rejection of authority. It says here, despise dominion. Verse 8 again. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities, despise dominion. And why did it despise it? Again, it is the heart. It is the heart, which is desperately wicked. It's not just that they've made some error and drifted for a while. There is a deceptive core in our being, and our heart, really, friends. It, it's not just the organ beating in our chest. It's more than that. It's the mind. It's the affections. It's our will. Now the idea here, it says here, of speaking evil. Speak evil of dignities. What does this mean? In, in the Greek language, the word is blasphemeo, which is where we get in English the idea of blasphemy. Blasphemy. But in English we really think of speaking evil against God. Of defaming his character. Speaking something that is not true of God. But also friends, these have been placed in authority by God. We may not like them at times. We may see their flaws. We may see that they are but dust as we are. But they are still been placed there by God. What did they do? They would lie. Slander, reviling, uh, defaming, or basically setting up to damage the reputation of those who are in authority. Now, this is not, friends, me saying you shouldn't 
call out error and sin when it's there. You should. But this is speaking of things that are not true. Using our imaginations in the wrong way to lie or to slander or to defame or damage the reputation. Because then when that is done, it is to attack that person. To attack those put in authority by God. So this is, this is very serious, what was happening in that day. So the central problem. Now we're going to look at the careful practice. The careful practice which we see uh, with Michael the Archangel. Sometimes it's, it's not really until you see a cloudless sky. And the stars are in the sky. And they're shining bright. That's when you see the blackness. Comparisons usually show us how evil something can be. Often we have to see a good example in order to appreciate how bad a bad one is. In Jude 9 it says this, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation. But said the Lord rebuke thee. Or we could also say there a abusive accusation or a, a reviling accusation. Now Michael was one of the angels who did not fall. He is not one of these angels that is spoken about in verse 6. Those angels which kept not their first estate. Those angels which did not Stay in their sphere of influence. Holiness. They departed from holiness. And so when they departed from holiness, they were driven from the Lord. But Michael was not like this. Michael here is a good example. And he is encountering the most wicked being. Could you think of anyone who's more evil than the devil? Than Satan? What can we learn from this? So when Michael is contending, Michael the Archangel, contending with the devil, he's dealing with the father of lies. It says in John 8, 44, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is a liar. This is the father of lies. And he's before him, contending with him. This is the one, the evil one, he said this to Christ. And saith unto him, this is in, in Matthew 4, 9. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. How evil the devil is. But before we look at what Michael did, what, what would we do? What do we do when we're in the presence of someone we know is a bad person? Are we careful with what we say? Often we're not. Brothers and sisters, we're all probably guilty of this. We're often not careful with our accusations. In our disagreements with others, well, he did this in the past. Well, he must be at this now. I don't know, you just can never trust that man. We all do it. And I say this, 
We are all guilty of it. I felt incredibly convicted going through this verse. There is a temptation to see the worst in a person with whom you disagree. And it says, what does it say about love? We'll just briefly turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because I think this is very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 5. It's speaking of charity, or this is agape, love. Um, it, it says in verse 5, Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not it her own, is not easily, is not easily provoked. And at the end of verse 5, thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil, or does not imagine evil. It would be easy, if we were in that situation, to bring our own accusations against the father of lies. But what does Michael say? Does he say, does he invent things? No. He says only this, the Lord rebuke you. He's careful. He's not inventing extra things. He sticks to the authority by which he's been given. He stays with that authority. He stays with what he is sure of. And what he absolutely knows to be true. And he goes no further. That can be a difficult discipline to master. Sticking to what we actually know. And going no further. And in church disputes. That is so hard to do. When, when we're... When we're frustrated, when we're annoyed, when there's something going on, to stick to what we know and go no further. He is staying in the Lord's authority, and he's not even saying, I rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. He's very careful to follow the truth, not to invent or slander even the devil itself. It seems an amazing thing to say, doesn't it? Even the devil. The, the father of lies himself. And this is a good example. This is the best example you can give. How careful. If this is the way we are to be with the devil, how are we to be with other believers? How are we to be with other believers? It's incredibly convicting. Dear friends, before we go on the internet, before we respond to that email, whatever it is, keep this verse in your mind. We think no evil. We stick to what we know. And again, this is not to ignore sin. There are times when church discipline is necessary, but may it be only what can be proved and no more than that. And to think the best of each other. Even those people who have wronged you and hurt you deeply. And is that easy? I'm not saying that's easy. That you need grace to be able to do that. To forgive people. But that's what we've been called to do. To be merciful. To be gracious toward those, even those who have wronged us. Now we're going to look at the careless prejudice. So we've looked at the central problem, the careful practice, the careless 
prejudice. Those who are on the wide road to destruction will reject this. This will seem like nonsense to the person on the wide road to destruction. Verse 10, but these speak evil. Again, this is speaking of these ungodly men or these filthy dreamers. These speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts. And those things, they corrupt themselves. What do they speak evil of? Is it something they understand? They think they understand it. Or they'll be very proud about it. But they don't. They clearly do not understand it. And it takes a great degree of humility, brethren, to stay away from areas we don't know. And to just say at times, it's okay to say, I don't know. With this era of the internet, it's made it even harder. We need to, we think we're Google search away from knowing everything. But here, we're no longer to be as almost like a wild animal, raging against the true authority, fighting against it in ignorance and foolishness. Are they trusting in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are they trusting, are these, are these certain men who crept in on the wares, are they trusting in his wisdom, in his understanding, in his authority? No, they're trusting, sadly, in what they know naturally. What they know naturally, and this corrupts them. Their heart corrupts them. It says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Matthew five, Matthew 15, verses 19 to 20. It's so easy to look at other things that may influence us, but it is our heart that plays a central role in this. The devil, the world, they play their part. They lure us into sin. But our heart suppresses, it withholds, it distorts, it, it, it contorts the light and makes it into something that it is not. And so what we know naturally, as natural, he calls us, those who do not know the Lord, those certain men, brute beasts. And those things, they corrupt themselves, failing to understand the true light. So much so that they are no longer what they've been made to be. And as to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, we can also be drawn away in this direction. It's not just those people out in the world. We, all, we, we are capable of far more sin than we realize as believers in Jesus Christ. And we can begin to be careless like these certain men. This is why this warning is sent to all the church. It's not just given to certain people who are particularly bad. Just give this message to them and nobody else. But we can become somewhat like them. The world is filled with so many false experts. People speaking all sorts of things. They have no idea what they're talking about. 
Everybody wants to be first. But they don't want to check if it's true. We've had years of this. We must submit to the light of God's authority. We must submit to, to what we know from the light of God's word. And to be to follow that. To not be careless. Are you in the word daily? Daily. Does it shape your thinking? Does it shape your authority? Does it shape how you think? Does it shape your affections? Does it shape your choices? Does it shape everything about your life? Dear friends, the Lord isn't asking for your Sundays. He's not just asking for Wednesday evening after 8 o'clock. And praise God that you're all here. He's asking for your heart. Your mind. Your affections. Your will. He wants it all. We may say, I've given so much to the Lord. More. And it is the most glorious thing we can do. So that it would guide us to being careful. And to not being like these who speak evil. And they speak of things they know not. Because when we, are, when we drift from the word of God. We are more tempted to speak of things which we do not know. When we do know of things. We should speak on things. We should speak to man's condition. When we see a human being. Someone born in Adam, we know that they're fallen. We know that without Christ, they will spend an eternity in hell. But we can forget that, can't we? We meet the same neighbors every single day. And the impact of that, to be under the wrath of God for all eternity, it leaves us, doesn't it? And we must be constantly reminded of that fact. We can become to speak about things we don't know. Rather than speaking about the things we do know for certain. And speaking of certainty, let now finally let us look at the certain path. The certain path. path. Where does this take someone? In rejection of this true authority. With all of its outworkings. Where will this certainly take us? In verse 11 of Jude, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Or that's also Korah. Korah. We just don't just have one example here. We have three examples, and they're actually quite varied the wide this it is a wide road with many examples and many roads that lead to destruction wide is the way wide is the way it says in matthew 7 verse 13 enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in there at 
the way of Cain it talks about. Woe unto them, those who cast off authority, who will follow this example. It says, they go the way of Cain, the way of Cain. And what did Cain do? What did Cain do? Cain murdered his own brother. He hated him. It's not the hatred of the heart that led to his murder. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, Not as Cain, who is of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Sometimes you might say, well, could, could it give me a bit more information than that? He, he was evil. His works were evil. What he loved was evil. And when he saw righteousness in his brother, it stirred up a hatred, a passionate hatred which led to murder. It's a pretty insulting thing to say, isn't it, when you think about it? What if somebody came up to somebody today and saying, Woe unto you, you are going the path of Hitler. Most people would be insulted, I'm sure. Cain is an evil example in the scriptures. He hated his brother because his brother did good. What did it say of Abel? By faith, Abel offered up to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, being dead, yet speaketh. Abel is a very positive example in the scriptures. He's, he's very much so the first martyr in the scriptures. He died for the faith. It says also in Matthew 23, verse 35, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. That's the legacy of Cain. You could say one who persecuted the church. And, and Balaam, Balaam for prophet, now, we may look at Balaam and be not sure how to look at him in the scriptures. But it's speaking of his motivation here as he set off on his journey and he was stopped by a donkey that spoke to him and stopped him. It says in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Which have forsaken the right way and gone, are gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Basor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. The motivation for Balaam when he set off, he didn't wait for the Lord, he set out for the wages of unrighteousness. These all rejected through authority. Just like Korah. Korah, in the book of Numbers, was not a fan of Moses' authority. That might sound ridiculous to us. But there's always going to be challenges to authority, isn't there? And what happened in their rebellion? Korah seeking to reject this authority. It says in Numbers chapter 16, verse 32, And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses. And all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods didn't end well. 
It's a certain path. It's a path to destruction. It's a path to the wrath of God. It's a path to humiliation and defeat. It's a path to destruction. And this path is certain. It's not like we're not sure of these things. In the previous verse, but these people who speak about things that they don't know. And that will be often, won't it? The accusation of the outside world. Well, you Christians, you you cannot be certain of these facts. You cannot know that Jesus is the only way, but we do. We do. And they fight against it with every ounce of their being. They suppress it. They hold it back. They withhold it. That light. That there is one ultimate authority in the universe. And they do not want. Their major problem is not proof. There's proof all around them. Anybody you witness to at work. They are surrounded by proof. The heavens declare the glory of God. The problem the world has is it does not want to submit to God. We will not have this man to reign over us. They want another king. They want a king made in their own likeness. They want a king who will satisfy their lusts and their own desires. Dear friends, do you delight to submit to him? You, your, your faith may be the size of a mustard seed. It may be small, it may be weak, it may struggle at times. But do you delight to follow God? Does sin grieve your heart? And if so, that's encouraging. That's wonderful. Because the other way is the way of Cain. The other way is the way of Balaam. The other way is the way of core. May God be glorified in all of our lives, wherever the Lord has placed us, to glorify him in whatever we have done and in whatever we do. May be all for his glory. Amen. Amen.